Hello and welcome to the Homestead Atlantica podcast. I'm your host, Jekinovia, aspiring homesteader, history nerd, and sovereign pagan druid. I'm here to share traditional skills, hard-earned wisdom, and practical tips to help you lead a simpler, more mindful way of life, all while adding a little magic into the mundane. Hello and welcome back. Well, it has been a while and I have learned that my schedule is a little bit too full to be able to give you a perfectly edited, um, perfectly planned podcast. So I started to think if it was really worth me moving forward with it, with the Homestead Atlantica podcast. And what the conclusion I came to was the whole purpose and idea behind it was not to offer a polished product. My intention is to share information, to share my journey, to share tips, and to start a homestead community, an authentic one. And so in the spirit of being authentic, I'm just going to go with it. We're going to have, I've got a cup of tea, I've got my seeds in front of me for this episode. I don't really have anything planned specifically to talk about other than the fact that I'm going to go through my seeds with you. And we're going to talk, I think, a little bit about garden planning. Um, So if you're someone who needs a lot of structure or who needs, you know, perfect zero background noise with no cats running around and no washing machine, this may not be for you. And and that's okay. Um, I'm not going to be for everybody, but this is me. This is my life. And um, I just want you to be a part of it. So without further ado, I've got my box of seeds. Now, I order every year from several different places, Uh, Vessi's seeds being a major one. So that's usually where my biggest order comes from. Um, And they're based in Canada. I do try to order most of my seeds from Canada. Um, But yeah, so you're going to hear me shifting around with all these seeds and you're going to hear them shaking. So we'll consider it ASMR because that's a big thing. I can't get into it, but hey, if it works for you, all the power to you. So some of the things I've got are just your basics. So I've got you know my carrots, my beans, peas, uh, corn, of course. I'm not going to do too much corn. I find that it doesn't do well. I don't know if it's my soil or the microclimate I'm in, but it does really well, and then it just stunts. And I think it's because where I live, our night temperatures don't generally go above maybe 10 to 12 degrees, even on in the hottest part of the summer. It gets chilly here at night. And I think that has something to do with why my corn just doesn't seem to want to give me much Um, and it's the same with my peppers I have big beautiful pepper plants but they just don't produce a lot of fruit unless they're in my greenhouse so that's the theory I've come to Um, let's see I've got some broccoli cauliflower parsnips which I haven't had in years believe it or not so I'm looking forward to those this year so basically, when you're when you're ordering your seeds, you want to get things that you already like. I wouldn't spend a lot of time and energy trying to grow something that either you haven't tried before or that you know you're not fond of, because there's no point in going through all the work, especially if you you have an intention of preserving it, keeping it, being self-sufficient. You're going to avoid eating it. It's going to be the last thing you pick off your shelf, and it's going to sit there and probably go to waste. Not that your chickens, if you have them, or your dog, or whatever, won't enjoy having a little snack, but... It's just not worth the effort in my mind. <clears throat> so make sure you, you think about things that you actually like to eat. And if there's something you find that's interesting that you want to try, see if it's at a farmer's market. 
or the grocery store and try it first. Try it a few different ways. Um, and, and then just grow a little bit of it until you get more used to using it in your diet. So things like cucumbers, what else do I have? Green onions, radishes, of course, lots of tomatoes. Um, for tomatoes, I grow a lot of different varieties. Um, I grow some that are just to eat fresh. I grow some for sauce. I grow some for um, canning, just chunks of tomato, uh, some for salsa. I don't do a whole lot of salsa. What I do is I'll can just chopped up tomatoes and then I can turn them into salsa later if I really want to. Um, I find it just, it's better because there's just more options. I, I don't like to, uh, I don't like to have 20 jars of salsa and need more jars of just plain tomatoes, if you know what I mean. Uh, okay, we've got some peppers that I'm giving her another shot, but I think I'm just gonna grow peppers right in my greenhouse this year. I don't think I'm gonna put them in the garden. So that'll be the first year I've tried that um, from seed. I've done it with just store-bought pepper plants after my seed ones just didn't give me anything. Uh, so stay tuned for an update on that one. What else do we have in here? I have my sage seeds, which we will talk about when it comes time to harvest our seed and save them. More peas. Now squash. Squash does not preserve well. So if you're going to grow it for winter storage, you want to get what's called a winter squash. Winter squash doesn't mean it survives the winter outside in the garden. It does not grow in cold season. What it means is it's it lasts a long time in storage as opposed to summer squash it's it's not going to last long so things like cucumbers and you know melons and things they they do not last very long you have to eat them immediately but things like pumpkins pumpkins to a point and then butternut acorn squash things like that they will preserve for months and months you though if you store them right they can carry you through right through till uh, till the following spring so that's the difference between summer and winter squash and I have a few different ones I've got some <clears throat> butternut squash for winter I've got some acorn squash for winter and then of course I've got pumpkins because Samhain right we have to have our own pumpkins um, sunflowers now I grow them so that I have treats for my chickens um, some people grow them to uh, grind up the uh, the seeds and make oil out of them and that's fine but you need a whole lot of them for that to make it worthwhile um, but they also attract pollinators so there's nothing cuter than a big fat bumblebee crawling around on a sunflower. I just, I love it. Every time I see one, I take pictures. Uh, what's that, more pumpkins, beets, some kale. Okay, unpopular opinion, I really don't like kale, <laughs> but I know it's good for me, so I grow it to put in smoothies. Um, I do like kale chips. I like kale chips, so I don't grow a ton of kale, but if you don't, if you're like me and you don't necessarily like a whole lot of kale, just know that if you take care of it, your kale plant will get very big and you will get a decent amount of kale off of each one. So keep that in mind. I, I had two years, last year I lost most of my garden. We had a, a bad frost, a really bad frost middle of July and it killed off pretty much everything. So my kale did survive, um, but it was stunted. So I didn't get a whole lot off of it, but the year before last, I had kale so big, it was up to my, my waist and it was huge. It like took over its whole area. Not in like a weedy kind of way, but like it was just enormously huge. And we had so much kale, we actually couldn't eat it. I ended up giving a lot of it to chickens. And some hot peppers. Now ground cherries. 
I tried to grow these a couple of years ago and the voles loved them and ate them before I had a chance to even have one. So I'm gonna try that again and I have to come up with a way to protect them from the voles because the voles come up from underground and they're a pain. Uh, onions and tomato dill. Now my herbs, I don't necessarily plant many of my herbs in with my vegetables. I have a separate area for my, especially my perennial herbs. So pretty old. If you're not familiar with that term, it just means it grows back year after year. You don't have to keep replanting it um, as opposed to an annual or a biennial, which uh, an annual you would have to plant every year. Some of them, they will be self-seeding, which means they'll drop their seeds and then those seeds will regrow. So they kind of act like a perennial in that way, but it's not the same plant. It's a different plant every year. It's just growing from fresh seeds dropped from the parent plant. Um, a biennial means it puts its seed out the second year, so it, it will grow back the second year from that first set of seeds, um, but then it'll put out the seeds on that second year and you'll have to regrow it from those seeds after that, or it might self-seed as well. Um, let's see, what else do we have here? Those are the peas, those are, I think I've gone through most of what I have. I have some wildflowers for the pollinators I'm gonna sprinkle around in the field. Um, now I have several gardens. I have my big vegetable garden, which is I believe about 1,700 square feet, possibly a little more, I can't remember exactly. Um, and then I have two other kind of slightly smaller and together they make up about 1,500 square feet. And then I have just um, some little ones, I'm not sure, over by the house, I'm not sure the size of them, and then my herb garden as well. Uh, so there's that, and I'm also going to try to grow some alfalfa this year. I tried it last year just as an experiment and it actually did a tiny little like one by one square to see if it would even grow and it actually did really well. So I'm gonna grow probably one of my smaller patches with just alfalfa, um, just, to, just to see if I can do it because I mean alfalfa can be used for things like flour, you can use the, the stalks of it to feed livestock. So it's a really good versatile plant. All right, so that's that's kind of just me going through what I have for my seeds. Now, when it comes to planning where to put it, or actually where to start, when to start the seeds, let's go there first. Um, if you haven't noticed, this is me trying to be a 101 crash course for anybody who's not really familiar with seed starting gardening. Um, I know in 2020, with everything that went on, there was like this huge, huge surge in uh, everybody wanted to garden and grow their own food, which I think is amazing and great. Um, it was really difficult to get a hold of seeds last year, mind you. So I'm glad that I put mine in really early and I did the same thing again this year and it looks like the seeds are selling out once again. Um, but I also did notice on social media, a lot of people, they were they just didn't know what to do. And I mean, not in a judgmental way, but um, I just, I noticed that there was a lot of people just didn't know what you know didn't know how to grow anything they'd never done it before and and that's fine because we are not raised in a society anymore where these things are just common knowledge so it's okay to not know what's going on and I don't I, I don't I can't stand behind the people who kind of talk down to you know these these people who are trying to really get started in gardening I I saw a lot of that and it was really disgusting to me um, there was a lot of like ridiculing and um, teasing and I just didn't like it. It was it was gross. So if you're one of those people who were like sneering at, at the people who were trying but didn't know what to do, come on, you can do better. So anyway, that aside, 
I thought that this might be a good time to give you the basics. If you have any other questions that I don't answer because I'm going off the top of my head here. I, I'm trying to remember what I didn't know and it's been a while so I just don't know what I didn't know when I started. So if you have any questions, definitely uh, just send them my way. I mean, you can send me an email or you can find me on Instagram. Um, I would love to help out. Oh, sorry, my Instagram is Homestead Atlantica and then um, my email is homesteadatlantica at gmail.com. So anyway, moving on. So when you're wanting to figure out when to start seeds, because they're all gonna be different. You don't start all your seeds at the same time because they all have different growth habits and, and takes them a different time, different sometimes um, exposure to light will help a seed go uh, to sprout and sometimes being in darkness helps a seed sprout. So, I mean, of course, mother nature just finds a way generally, but if you want your plants to have the best start, you wanna to try to give it at least what it likes. So for instance, like tomatoes, they sprout really fast, but they do need warmth. They do not grow well if it's really chilly. I would say in until, unless you can provide, oh, minimum 10 degrees Celsius. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, I'm sorry. But minimum 10 degrees Celsius, your your tomatoes are not gonna, they're not going to thrive. I'm talking about like starting the seed. So you wanna make sure that you have a warm place um, they don't need sun to sprout, to sprout the seed, but as soon as it breaks the surface, it needs that sun. Most, almost all plants, all vegetable plants do. They need that sun because what happens is the leaves take in that sunlight. It's called photosynthesis. The leaves take in the sunlight and basically convert it into its own fuel, you know, just to make it very, very basic. Because let's face it, if you want to grow a tomato, you don't necessarily need to know the science behind it. But that's the general idea is that it, it as soon as the light hits the sun, sorry, as soon as the sunlight hits the leaves, the leaves begin the process of turning that sunlight into fuel. So once your seeds sprout, especially if you're growing all vegetables and herbs, they need sunlight. And it can't just be, um, it can't just be a light bulb in your house. It needs to be either sunlight or a grow light if you really want them to do well. Otherwise they get, it's called leggy, where the, <clears throat> the stems are really, really long and skinny and weak, and they end up kind of flopping over and snapping or dying and it all. So you wanna make sure that you have sunlight, preferably direct sunlight. So if it's a sunny window sill, make sure it's like a south facing window and that'll give you your best shot. If you have a greenhouse, even better. You just have to make sure you watch those temperatures at night to make sure it doesn't go too too low. So anyway, so tomatoes, they sprout fairly quickly. So it's like within a week, you will see them usually like four to five days, you'll see some sprouts, but within a week, most of them will sprout if they're going to sprout. Um, and then they, they take some time. So you wanna start those about I usually say about six weeks before your last frost date. And as far as your last frost date goes, it's gonna vary depending on where you are. And you might even notice that even though your area has a certain last frost date, um, your say backyard where you're gonna have your garden might have, it's called a microclimate. So where the trees are positioned, the shading, direct sun, you know, south facing, north facing, it might affect your specific last frost date. So there's a lot of observation that goes along with this. Uh, where I have my gardens, it's actually, it's a flat ground, but it has full exposure to the sunlight. It's, it's quite a wide open area. So it does, um, my last frost date is generally 
in theory, okay, how do I explain this? In theory, my last frost state is pretty much on par because I have it so wide open and the sun can access it. But because it's such an open area and we have winds, it takes the temperature quite further down in the evenings and at night. So even if I don't necessarily have frost, it's still really chilly and affects the growth of my plants. So that's what I mean by microclimate. So there's a whole lot of, you've got to watch and learn learn your specific area. And your plants can tell you a lot. If you, you, know, you have them planted out and you notice that maybe they're getting kind of crispy, the, the leaves are getting crispy, it could be they're being sunburned. They might have too much sun or too much exposure or they could be over water. There's a few different things, but it's it's all about just watching and, and kind of figuring it as you go. And even if you're a seasoned gardener, you still gotta watch. I still have to watch every year where I am, so don't feel like that's just a newbie thing. You wanna watch all the time, no matter how long you've been gardening. Um, okay, so we talked about tomatoes a little bit. So things like pumpkins and cucumbers, they sprout super duper fast. You don't start those until three or four weeks before your last frost date. They do not need a lot of time before they go in the garden. Um, and you wanna make sure that when you're planting your garden, you wanna give them lots of space, especially pumpkins. Uh, most of them like to spread. Um, and, and some uh, cucumbers, they like to climb. They do better when they have something to climb on. So take a look at the, the information on the back of your seed packets or through the seed catalog and sometimes they'll tell you that they have to be staked or they need to have, a, you know, they need to climb and that's your signal that you need to figure out a way to um, to give it that support that it needs as it grows. Oh, sunflowers, I mean, you can direct plant those. That's generally what I do. They do take a little longer to start when you direct plant them. Uh, direct plant, direct sow, that just means you put them right in the garden. You don't start them indoors in pots. Um, sometimes I will start a few of them indoors just to give them a head start, but I only like maybe a week or two before I put them outside just so they're just sprouting. Uh, the, the thing is with sunflower seed, or sunflower sprouts I should say, is it's really yummy for a lot of birds and insects and things, so you want to try to protect them as much as you can. I find making little cloches, 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 whatever, anyway, they're little you see the fancy ones are glass domes that you set down over a plant and what I do is I save I all the like mayonnaise jars and salsa jars and like the jars that we use from the store bought things I'll turn those upside down over top of any plants that are at risk so you know my sunflowers my cucumber sprouts and things like that um, it is a little bit of work to start off the season because once they're big enough you don't need to do it but that's going to protect them from some things that are going to try to eat them and it's also going to protect them from any lower evening temperatures too. So it keeps them nice and warm. So that's a little trick that you can use to so start saving all of your containers. And if worst comes to absolute worst, I mean you can cut pop bottles in half, sorry soda bottles if you're not in Canada. Uh, you can cut those in half and just turn like each half can cover up something or you can use you know, sour cream containers, it doesn't have to be see-through. It can be whatever you've got on hand, just make it work. It's just for protection at nighttime because nighttime seems to be when everything attacks, be it the temperature, be it pests or whatever. Um, okay, so things like carrots and beets and radishes, you, you can't really start those indoors. Those have to go directly in the garden. They don't transplant well at all. Um, 
peas, I've seen some people, they'll, they'll start them, but they do just fine being direct planted. Peas thrive in cold soil. So I don't really have a problem with those ever. Um, <clears throat> what you do need to do with most peas though is give them something to climb. And if you've gardened before, you realize that those tomato cages that they sell in stores, they will not hold up a tomato plant. <laughs> they, they just fall over in the first wind. But those tomato cages are really, really great for peas because the peas will grow up them, it gives them that trellis and then they get to the top and they kind of just spill over. So that's what I use those so-called tomato cages for is the uh, peas. So if you have some of those on hand, save them for that. If you don't necessarily have those, you can actually just find some sticks or stakes, whatever you have on hand. You're gonna wanna put them about 18 inches apart, stick them up in the soil wherever you're planting your peas and you're going to take string or twine or yarn, whatever you have on hand, and you're gonna kind of wrap it and tie it around each stick and just give the, the peas something to climb up to and you just kind of climb up on and you just go back and forth until you know, you've reached the top. Maybe I'll, I'll see if I can find a photo because that's not a very good way of explaining it, but I'll see if I can find a photo and link it in the show notes just to give you an idea of what, I'm, of what that process is. But yeah, peas do need something to climb up on. Otherwise, they're just going to grow along the ground and rot or something's going to eat them. Okay, who else do we have? Oh, parsnips. Corn. Corn. Technically, you're supposed to direct seed those. The only year I've ever gotten even a minor crop of corn was when I started the seeds indoors as an experiment because it gave them a better start and more heat, I guess. So... Play with that. Uh, your area might be completely different depending on where you live. You might have much better luck than I do with corn. Um, but generally you wanna plant corn after there's no, no more danger of frost. So those will go right in the garden. And, oh, 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 okay. As far as onions go, now you can get onion sets and onion seeds. Now onion seeds, you wanna start those indoors. Obviously you're gonna grow those and then you can either eat them as green onions, which are delicious. Um, but if you want to have the big, huge onions, what you have to do is then save the little onion bulbs that come from those seeds until the following year and then plant those sets. That's what those are the little bulbs that aren't, you don't really eat those yet. Those are called onion sets. Now you can buy onion sets and that's what I usually do. And you plant those directly in the soil in spring after last frost. And those will grow. Those are ones that you can just use as cooking onions. But uh, so onions are, I, I think onions are biennial. I've never actually collected onion seeds because I've always just done the sets. Um, when I do grow them from seed, I just use them as green onions. I don't necessarily, I don't uh, keep the bulbs afterwards. We just eat them. Um, okay, who's next? Oh, and to start onion seeds, you start those indoors, definitely. You don't want to start those outside because they just, I don't think they'd be very happy. And where I live, we have a problem with ants stealing our seeds. So any kind of fine seeds, so for instance, my carrot seeds, for the first two years, I, I thought it was me. I thought there was a problem with my carrot growing skills. And then I realized that the ants were stealing all my seeds before they could sprout because I planted three packets. So I mean, in each packet of seeds, there's like 1,500 or 2,000 seeds. So out of three packets, so like, let's say 6,000 seeds, I had one, one singular carrot grow. 
So that just kind of told me that it was not me. So this year I've actually found Vessi's has, it's like a coated carrot, it's coated in clay, or carrot seeds, sorry, it's coated in clay. So I'm growing that because the clay then erodes off of it and by the time the clay erodes, the carrot has sprouted, which I'm hoping is going to help avoid the ant issue. I will report back on that because if it's coated in clay, I'm hoping that the ants cannot smell it and will not steal it. Okay, so squashes, we talked about the pumpkins and squashes and things. Oh, things like, okay, so let's go with some broccoli and cauliflower. They are related. They cannot grow together. Well, I mean, you can plant them together, but you're going to have a big problem with pests. I find with broccoli especially, it, every moth in my general vicinity will hunt it down and eat it. Uh, it's the same with uh, cauliflower leaves, but I find once the cauliflower sets its, because what we eat of the cauliflower and broccoli is actually the flower part. We don't eat the leaves. It's it's. If you really look at uh, the like, say a head of broccoli, you can see that it's it's like the little florets. That's why they're called bro broccoli florets. And it's the same with um, cauliflower. So what happens is, is things come and they eat all the leaves, and then they crawl around and they start eating the stem and stuff. And I mean, there's nothing worse than when you're steaming broccoli and then you see all these caterpillars fall out of it because because they blend in. They are the perfect color green and they blend right in with all the stalks. It's nasty um, I do grow them still but they're not my favorite thing to grow for that reason because they're so you really have to check them in my area anyway um, and then but yeah so they're they're really actually easy to grow it's just a matter of protecting them that's the hardest part and they start indoors cauliflower starts I believe six weeks cauliflower and broccoli so yeah about between six weeks and four weeks in is when I generally start them you can just plant them directly in the garden as well but as I mentioned with the ants same kind of problem they would just disappear and I wouldn't get anything so for me I have to start them indoors uh, but you can experiment start some indoors and, and do some outdoors something that I absolutely refuse to grow for the last two years and probably will never grow again is potatoes because I will have the most beautiful potato bushes coming and gorgeous looking potatoes coming along. And I go to sleep and I wake up the next morning and they're completely just right down to the ground because the potato beetles, they find it every time. Now, it was fine because I would still get some small potatoes, but a couple of years ago, those potato bugs decided to ransack my tomatoes as well. And that's when I learned that potato beetles, when they don't have anything else, they will go for your tomato plants because they're both members of the nightshade family, which is the same like plant family. So I personally, and I've tried the whole plant them in a different place every year and plant them far away from everything else. And I've tried planting them in a completely different part of the field, which is there's at least two, 300 feet away <laughs> from the rest of my garden. And it just it doesn't help so potatoes are definitely something I am NOT going to be growing so I can't really give you any advice for that aside from try it see if it works but just really watch for those potato bugs and be ready to pick them because they take over quick one other thing I do have are beans now I just tend to grow bush beans um, 
not that I don't like pole beans. Okay, so let me back up there. So we have pole beans or we have bush beans. Bush beans do not need staking. They only get to be like a foot, maybe two feet tall. Um, and they put out a lot of beans. So they're very low maintenance. They grow easy. They're happy. Um, as far as pole beans or climbing beans, runner beans, depending on who you're talking to, um, they need staking. So they need some kind of trellis or something to grow up on and they get quite tall. Um, I've tried the bean tents where you take some sticks and like you make like a three or four stick like tent thing. Um, it, it worked to an extent, but it just, it was a lot of extra effort just for a few extra beans. And I, I just find that I get better crops off of bush beans, but experiment and try. I mean, you can get something like Scarlet Runner beans, which are gorgeous and you can still eat the beans. So, and then there's, you can get yard long beans. Those are really neat. They're, they're climbing beans, but the beans themselves are like a foot long. I think sometimes they're actually called foot long beans. And I mean, sometimes I've seen them like go up to two, three feet. They're huge. They're ginormous. But uh, yeah, I, I find too with pole beans, they like it a little bit warmer than bush beans. So if you're maybe south, if, if you're living southern, more southern than, <laughs> than I am, you might have better luck than I did too. So maybe you'll fall in love with them more. Um, okay. Well, I mean, that's all I've got right in my hands. I'm still waiting for two more shipments of my seeds. That makes it sound like I'm growing a huge thing. They just, they sent it in batches. Um, but maybe when those come in, I'll just do another quick episode and tell you what came in and talk about, you know, what I'm going to start. I, where I am, it's still not time to start for another week. So I won't be starting any of these seeds um, until next week. But if you're interested, I am happy to maybe just do one more of these talks while I'm planting and kind of talk you through what I'm doing and you can plant along with me. And uh, yeah, well, I hope that springtime is treating you well. I hope that you are excited for the growing season. And I hope that uh, you are going to experiment and trust yourself and just have fun with it and and don't be afraid to ask questions if you're if if you're wondering something about gardening or seed starting or a pest or you know trying to plan out where you're going to put things there's no stupid questions if you don't know you don't know it's it's not something to be ashamed of so be sure to reach out to somebody you trust you can as i mentioned before you can get a hold of me i'm happy to answer any questions i can or try to help you find an answer if i don't know and yeah I wish you every blessing and thanks for joining me. Bye-bye. Thanks again for joining me on the Homestead Atlantica podcast. As always, check the episode description for any links or other notes about our chat today, as well as the transcript. If you'd like to connect, you can usually find me hanging out over on Instagram at Homestead Atlantica, all one word. Visit my website at homesteadatlantica.com for more information about the podcast or about me and what else I'm up to. See you next time.